right, so I want to speak on uh, the theme we've said for the last quarter of the year is finishing 2019 strong and uh, starting uh, 2020 big. That is, finishing it strong so that you are positioned to be able to start 2020 big. And when we're talking about finishing something strong, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, the, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, and so it's finishing this year, all right, not with any form of heaviness about anything that happened during the year, uh, but finishing with uh, a sound of joy, uh, finishing with a voice of victory. Uh, uh, during this last, it's something days there, right, with that spirit of joy, wearing that garment of praise. Uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he spoke about finishing his cause with joy. He said, none of these things move me, neither count myself there unto myself, that I might finish my cause with joy. So I want to teach on this and then highlight four things, or I want us to practice and pray. However, before I get into the specifics of those four things, which are clear, detailed instructions, I'll just take some time to first lay a foundation. And let me just say this, it's important, right? And this was the pattern of Paul in his writings. Uh, that before we get into what we might consider as actionable truth or instructional stuff where direct instructions are given, uh, it's important to lay a proper theological foundation. What do you mean by that? It's important that the concept, all right, be understood. Now, it's just like saying you want to give instruction on prayer, all right, without people really understanding the concept and the theology of prayer, then they will carry out those things without a proper foundation. And if they experience any form of challenge, which every single person must and will experience in the practice of truth, because they don't understand the theology behind it, then they are restricted and can't really make the maneuvers that they ought to in order to obtain results. Uh, that's why if you read Paul's letters, he will start out maybe the first three chapters, depending on how large the letter is, uh, teaching what you call solid theological stuff. Ephesians 1, 2, 3, right? Solid theological stuff about various things. And then he will switch in the mode of the letter and begin to give detailed instructions. But it is based on the theology that he has already established. Now, the reason is, I say again is, as you start practicing that, you'll come in contact with things. And as you come in contact with things, because nobody has discovered the truth by it just being preached to you in that sense, while you'd really discover truth and gain revelation in your own personal relationship and encounters with God. And that comes as a result of walking in the light of what you know, coming up against obstacles or difficulties, now searching out, right, God's mind concerning that, and then you enter into what is called the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said it this way. He said to his disciples, 
who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And then he said, something will happen. You will know the truth. So that point comes, and the truth will set you free. Right? So a lot of people, if you just come and say, uh, four steps to something, people say, well, yeah, it was very practical. We just went straight to the point. But that's what's causing the bigger problem. All right? In the body of Christ, even today, where people entered into things without them having a solid theological foundation for it. So what they were just doing was they were echoing things that they read, not speaking out of truth they discovered in personal search. As one great evangelical said, he said, man has never found God through philosophy or wisdom. Man has only discovered God through his own personal needs, which means it's as the pressure is on, that people now go to God and have that particular truth revealed to them. That's why Paul spoke about people who were ever learning, which means sitting down and listening, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, which means once they start the practice of it and they hit with anything, they pull back, all right, so they became hearers and they were not doers. Because once you start doing that, then you come to a point where God has to open your eyes to see certain things, and then you know, all right, that what I heard is right, but here is how I'm going to combine this in this particular situation in order to get results. So we're going to get to four things, right? So I'll take the first 20 minutes establishing the basis of what we want to say. Now, in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 16, all right, the Bible speaks about three feasts, all right, from 15 to 16, that the nation of Israel used to engage in every single year. Now, I do personally believe that every single year in the life of a Christian, that also these things are representational. But that's not, all right, teaching today, all right, which means you go through these particular seasons in every 12 calendar month. But there were three feasts that they used to go up for. First was the Feast of Passover, and it was to celebrate when uh, the lamb was slain and the blood was put upon the doorpost, right, of every house in Egypt, and the angel of death passed over and they were liberated from Egypt. But it was also a type of Christ, such that Jesus also was crucified during that Passover feast. So even though it was the Pharisees, Sadducees planning the death of Jesus, it felt it fell into the exact date in the calendar of God where the Passover was sacrificed thousands of years ago in Egypt when the children of Israel came out. And the Bible calls Christ our own Passover. In other words, it is through that feast of Passover that we get saved and born again. Now, I believe in our practice also, the Bible says, let us keep this feast. It tells us in the book of Corinthians, without any malice. So I believe that people also still exercise themselves in every calendar year in that, but that's for something else. All right, now the second one we see here, Exodus 23, 16, was called the Feast of, of the Harvest, or the First Fruits of Your Labor. In another word that was used for it was called the Feast of the Pentecost. It always held 50 days after the Passover. And it so happened just to show exact representation in the New Testament. It was on the day of the Pentecost, that day of that feast, 
that there was an out or an inpouring of the Holy Ghost into the hearts of people. And for the first time, men received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues there. And so it was a celebration, and that's why we call it the Pentecostal movement, which means a movement that emphasizes its distinction is the infilling of the Spirit. Now, the distinction of the Passover is what you call the evangelical movement, all right, that talks about uh, the heart being pure and all of that. Then you have the um, Pentecostal, which emphasizes the infilling of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, but there was a third feast that was here in verse 16, and the feast of the ingathering, all right? And this was at the end of the year when thou hast gathered all the labors out of thy field. So it was called the feast of ingathering, or it was called the feast of the tabernacles. It's the feast that Jesus, in John chapter 7, the Bible says on the day of that great feast, it was called the great feast, and it happened at the end of the year. All right, to usher in the harvest. That is the gathering of things together, the great harvest there. And Jesus cried out and said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So in the Pentecost here, you have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now in the Feast of Tabernacles, you have the outpouring, all right, of the Spirit from the belly of Christians as rivers of living water. Now you can reimagine the church when every single believer understands that out of his own belly will flow rivers of living water. Even the construct of ministry will change and the architecture of ministry will change. Because people won't be dependent upon a man because they've understood that out of their own belly will flow rivers of living water. But that was called the feast, all right, of ingathering, where things were gathered together. Now, something God um, quickened in my heart. Now, when something is quickened in your heart, let me just explain this, and God opens up something to you. It doesn't mean that that thing is applicable in every season, all right, or you can transfer it anytime. All right, it just means that God is quickening it for a moment, and it's what you will call a prophetic word, which means it is something that God is showing you for that particular moment. And what he showed me here, and wanted me to emphasize this in the church, all right, in Exodus 23 and verse 16, it says that it was at the end of the year, all right, you had this feast of the in-gathering at the end of the year. And he quickened that and said, look, and I want to end this year here, all right, with this particular feast happening in the lives of my people. He quickened that on the inside of me. And it's what is quickened that you see that works. You know, when people are faced with situations, sometimes they speak the word of God for memory, but they don't speak the quickened word, which means what you should do is go to God and he starts quickening things and opening scriptures to you. And when you speak, that's what it means to speak prophetically which means you are saying it out of something, you are seeing fresh within the word of God, there is high impact. But if you're just saying something that you just committed to memory, something you learned six years ago, you learned five years ago, all right, it doesn't come out with the force and the kind of power that it should come out with, right, because it's not the quickened word. So it was at the end of the year that they had the feast called the end gathering. And that feast was the gathering in. All right, a great feast of the harvest coming in. In Second Chronicles, we have in chapter 20 from verse 22, talking about the ingathering. 
and the feast was like this. This kind of thing is what God is talking about. The Bible says, and when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, all right, sorry, sing and praise, the Lord set ambushment against the children of Ammon, Moab, Mansa, all right, which was come against Judah, and they were smitten. And he tells us in verse 23, for the children of Ammon, Moab stood against the inhabitants of Seir, utterly to slay them and to destroy them. And he tells us in verse 24, and when Judah came towards the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked onto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies falling to the earth, and none escaped. And then in verse 25, he says, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with dead bodies, precious jewels, which they stripped out for themselves, more than they could carry away, more than they were capable of carrying away. Just like how Peter caught fish. And the Bible says they were there three days in gathering of the spoils. There was an in-gathering of the spoil, for it was so much. And the experience of that feast is for every Christian to have this kind of thing, which means that they're experiencing, all right, manifestations beyond their own expectation, all right, beyond what they are prepared for, how much joy will bring to the hearts of people, and how much satisfaction will bring into people's hearts concerning their Christian faith when they begin to experience that exceeding abundantly above anything they could ask or think. Then they understand that they're experiencing the love of God. Something breaks on the inside of them. And this is the longing, all right, of the church. That is, they have experienced that infilling there, uh, the feast of Pentecost there, but now they're talking about that in-gathering. More than, all right, uh, they can gather. And so this particular feast is always characterized by an emphasis on praise, on sacrifices of joy, on rejoicing. In other words, this in-gathering comes as people pay attention to the name of the Lord and rejoice in his love for them, and that is that in-gathering, which means there was the feast that their labor produced, and they brought in the first fruits of their labor, all right, before that, which is, this is what our labor has brought. But then when it comes to the in-gathering now, this is what God himself has now gathered unto us. This is the manifestation of God in our life, which means in uh, the one of labor, all right, the world can even match you on that. But once you start stepping into that in-gathering, even the heathen roundabout will say the Lord has done mighty things for them whereof they are glad. In other words, you are stepping into a dimension there. And this is characterized here by sacrifices of joy, rejoicing and praising God. Right? A decision. People understand that this is what will usher this kind of season into our lives. Where the earth begins to yield its increase and things begin to spring up. It is the kind of thing here, it is, all right, as we spend time in his presence there. This is, this is a manifestation of results not by talent or by labor, but by his presence, which means because God's presence is there, his manifest presence. So it's not just by labor, all right, we've done the Passover, we've done um, the, the, the Pentecost, uh, labor was involved there. He says, but now you are coming into that in 
gathering there. And it's not manifested by talent or by labor, but by his presence. An example of this is 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. And this was in the house of Obededem here. And the ark continued. Now, why did he get so blessed and fruitful? The Bible says the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obededem, um, the, the Gittites here, three months. And the Lord blessed Obededem and all his household. And in verse 12, the Bible says it was told King David, saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obadadam and all that pertaineth to him for one reason, because the ark of God was inside that house. So this is a blessing that is commanded simply by the presence of God, which means because God's Shekinah glory is there. God is there in his manifested form. That is, the church understands that. So they pay attention to the practice that will bring about that particular feast into their lives. They do understand that this will go beyond, all right, anything. That is, it is God's favor that rests upon them. That is because the Lord himself has favored us. That's why we are in this particular position here. So it's about focusing, right, on, we'll say this, the sacrifice of joy during that season there. And we're saying at the end of the year, opening up our lives to this, opening up our lives to praise, opening up our lives, all right, to this particular practice, so that as we trust in the name of the Lord, so that we experience this particular feast inside our hearts. Isaiah chapter 60 from verses 9 to 12 speaks to this and tells us, Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first. So bring thy sons from far, their silver and gold with them, unto the name of the Lord and unto the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. And then the next verse says, And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor I had mercy on thee. And then it says, therefore, for this reason, thy gates shall be open continually because of, all right, sons of strangers coming in, kings coming to minister unto thee. Your gates must be open continually, and they shall not be shut day or night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and their kings may be brought. So here Isaiah identifies something. He calls the gates into your life. And he says those gates must be opened continually, that the Gentiles, all right, the forces of the Gentiles might be brought in, that kings, uh, that, that things will begin to happen in that person's life. He says your gates... So he speaks about the same way you have a physical gate a person can have in their house. If you shut that gate, nobody can come in. If somebody was instructed to deliver a parcel and the door and the gate is shut, then the person has to go back because they can't gain any entrance into your life or your house. All right? Same way also if these gates are not open continually, night and day, then people will miss out on things, all right, that God himself had ordained. 
Remember in Luke chapter 19, when they were rejoicing, and he said, tell your disciples, keep quiet. Jesus said, listen, if these ones keep quiet, the stones will immediately cry out. And then he looked to Jerusalem and wept over it and said, if you knew only in this day the things that belong to your peace, but now are they hid from your eyes. He's talked about the fact that because you have missed the time of your visitation. In other words, things that will have come in, all right, to you, you have missed that time. And he tied it up with these folks' lack of, all right, praise there, and lack of rejoicing. And he says, you missed that time of visitation. And so he tells us your gates. So what does this gate mean to us? Uh, verse 18, it goes on and says, verse 18, that's Isaiah 60 and verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. In other words, open up your praise, all right, continuously during this season. I've been practicing dates. Open it up during this season. Open it up. And don't let anything stop that praise. Don't let anything, it says, that I might finish my cause with joy. Don't let anything, night and day, schedule it. So give praise to God to understand that this is what provokes, all right, the feast of the in-gathering. This will cause things to cause sons of strangers. It is these high praises going up unto God, wearing this garment of praise, opening up your heart there, rejoicing and praising God. This is how, all right, this begins to happen there. So praise is what brings about, you know, what is called the manifest. You know, there's something in the Bible they call, the Jews is called the Shekinah glory. And let me explain what that is. The Shekinah glory was what, what if in de by definition, it means the glory of God or the presence of God in a way that can be touched and felt by man. So when you have the Shekinah glory, it means that God has manifested himself in a way that people can visibly see, touch, it doesn't require faith, and they can feel the glory of God. Now, God never decuts his relationship. He said, I've engraven you upon the palms of my hands. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But the Shekinah glory can depart. And the Shekinah glory can rest. Which is the manifest presence in a way that can be felt by man. That is, when it says, Ichabod, the glory has departed. It wasn't that God cuts the covenant. But it's the Shekinah glory that was no longer there. Which means, so it's evident. You see desolation. You see all of that. Because the Shekinah glory is not there. Now, God says, all right, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, all right? But the Shekinah glory is conditioned not on him, all right, but on us. In other words, that he will never leave nor forsake is God. That the Shekinah glory is present is man. It's the conduct of man. It's the way and manner in which, all right, you go about things. That you understand? The conditions for the Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.